Hi everyone, welcome back to Daily Gospel Exegesis, which is the Catholic podcast where we do a verse-by-verse exegesis of the scriptures. So we really look at the literal sense of the scriptures. We want to give you the tools to help you understand Jesus better and the things he says in the gospels. What do the words mean? And we always go about it in a way that's faithful to the teaching of the church, but in a quite a rigorous academic way. So today we're looking at Luke chapter 12 verses 49 to 53. So this is the reading you would hear at today's Mass. Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were blazing already. There is a baptism I must still receive, and how great is my distress till it is over. Do you suppose that I am here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on a household of five will be divided, three against two, and two against three. The father divided against the son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So what's the context here? Jesus is moving from Galilee to Jerusalem for the final phase of his ministry, and he's doing various types of ministry along the way. And this is right in the middle of a speech. And if you've been listening in the last few days, you'll know the kinds of things he's been saying to his disciples. So we go to verse 49 today. Jesus said to his disciples, notice who he's speaking to here. It's not actually the crowds. It's those who are already believers. It's his disciples. And in particular, this text is directed to those who are present with him at that time. He's speaking to those in that context who are with him. He says to his disciples, I have come to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were blazing already. This is an interesting phrase. It's not entirely clear what it means. There's different views about it. It appears only in Luke. So I have come to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were blazing already. So it seems to carry this idea of Jesus saying, I have come to start something, but it hasn't happened yet. Right, that's clearly there on at a minimum. He's saying he's come to bring something and it's not there yet, but he wishes it was. There's a few different theories about what exactly this is. So the first theory, and I think this fits the context the best, is that Jesus is thinking of the Christian age, the Christian missionary efforts, when people are going out preaching the gospel. And that hasn't really happened yet at the time that Jesus is speaking. It will happen in the book of Acts. There'll be an explosion of Christians coming into the kingdom and people preaching uh, in the book of Acts. That would make sense because that's what Jesus has been speaking about in the previous verses. He's been giving his disciples advice for when they go preaching the kingdom in the coming years. Indeed, John the Baptist himself called Jesus one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's in Luke 3.16. So early on, John associates Jesus with fire. Now, in the Bible, fire has lots of different meanings. The symbol of fire is quite common, and it has different uses, actually. Typically, it refers to purification or judgment. So, some scholars think maybe Jesus isn't thinking of the coming messianic age or the coming apostolic age. Maybe he's thinking of judgment. Maybe Jesus is saying, I have come to bring judgment on the earth. And indeed, Jesus does teach that there will be a judgment when the Son of Man comes at the second coming. So, in chapter 17 verses 29 to 30. It does talk about it there. So possibly Jesus is thinking about judgment. He continues his thought in verse 50. There is a baptism I must still receive. 
Or you can translate that as, I have a baptism to be baptized with. So Jesus is saying that he cannot yet bring fire to the earth, whatever that means, unless he does something first, which he calls a baptism. There is a baptism I must still receive. So he can't bring the fire until he's baptized. What is this baptism that he's talking about? Well, the next part of the verse is going to make it clear that it hasn't happened yet at the time he's speaking, this baptism, whatever it is. So it can't be his literal baptism, his baptism in the Jordan, because that has already happened in the past. So here, he's not thinking of his baptism in the Jordan River. What what could he mean then when he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with? Baptism, the word um, basically means immersion. It's to be immersed in something. So the reference here, when Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, it appears to be a reference to his passion and death, when he will be literally immersed into death and rise again to new life. So that could be called a baptism uh, when he dies and rises again. And that makes sense because in order for Jesus to pour out the spirit, in order for the apostolic age to happen, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus has to die first in order for the next plan, next phase of God's plan of salvation to happen. At the time Jesus is speaking, it hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't died. So he probably is saying, I need to die first. There is something that needs to happen to me before the fire can be kindled on the earth. So in that sense, the fire possibly represents the Holy Spirit. And that's certainly the way the catechism takes it. It sees Jesus here as speaking about fire in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus continues, verse 50, There is a baptism I must still receive, and how great is my distress till it is over. Or you can translate that as how I am constrained until it is accomplished. Notice that Jesus says he's constrained by something. He can't do whatever he wants to do in its fullness until he has his baptism. There's some things that Jesus and the kingdom cannot do until Jesus' death. In particular, the meaning here appears to be that the Holy Spirit cannot be poured out in its fullness to enable the church's mission until Jesus dies. And that is certainly Jesus' teaching elsewhere in the Gospels. He says, I must die and return to the Father before I can send the Holy Spirit. So I think that's the best way to understand this. When Jesus says, I have come to bring fire to the earth, it's a reference basically to the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, particularly in the apostolic age. And the baptism that needs to happen first is his death. So notice that Jesus is planning to die. He says it has to happen. It's not an accident. It's not just a tragedy, though it is that. It's actually planned by Jesus. In fact, in chapter 9 of Luke, verse 51, it says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. So he planned to go to Jerusalem to die. Now, some scholars have a different view of this passage. They see the bringing fire and baptism to be quite closely linked because they're in the same phrase here. So some scholars think that bringing fire and baptism refer not to two separate events, as in the pouring out of the spirit in the apostolic age and uh, Jesus' death. They're not two separate events. Some scholars would say they're the same future event, which is when Jesus baptizes the disciples with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's in Acts chapter 2. Maybe that's the fire that Jesus longs to see blazing. He's pouring out of the Spirit on the disciples. Now, that would fit in a way, but it doesn't make the best sense of Jesus saying, there is a baptism I must still receive. The pouring out of the Spirit on the disciples does count as a baptism for them, but it's not really a baptism for Jesus, is it? Because Jesus isn't on the earth anymore at that time. So I think the best view here is Jesus pouring out fire on the earth happens 
uh, by the Holy Spirit in the apostolic age, and then his baptism that is still needs to happen is his death. But it is one of those passages, because it only appears in Luke, we don't have a whole lot of information about it, so scholars have different views on that. We get to verse 51, and Jesus now says, Do you suppose that I am here to bring peace on earth? So why does Jesus say this? I have not come to bring peace. The common view at the time was that when the Messiah would arrive, so the Jews believed when the Messiah arrived, he would wipe out all of God's enemies, and then immediately there would be this peace in the world, which is God's people dwelling in peace on the earth. And there are some Old Testament passages which do talk about the Messiah as a peace bringer in that sense, particularly the famous passage in Isaiah where it says he will be a prince of peace. So many of Jesus' apostles and followers had come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, which he is. So they were probably expecting Jesus to bring peace to the world straight away. That was the common view at the time. Now, Jesus here is not denying that he will bring peace in some sense. In fact, if you look at Matthew 5, 9, he stresses to his disciples that they need to be peacemakers. So certainly part of the kingdom coming to earth is bringing peace. But the point here is that the Jewish preconceptions at the time of what the Messiah would be like, they thought the Messianic age would be quite peaceful straight away. Jesus here is concerned that their view of that is blinding them to what it's actually going to be like in the coming years. Jesus' disciples probably think they're going to have a very peaceful time. Jesus is going to lead a uh, a peaceful era and they get to be part of this peaceful era. But Jesus needs to correct their false views here. He needs the disciples to know what's going to happen to them in the coming years. In particular, the view at the time was that the Messianic age was going to come straight away, but Jesus needs to teach them that in the first stages of the Messianic age, there's going to be great struggle. The disciples are going to be persecuted, and he needs his leaders, his church leaders, to know that there's going to be a struggle. The eternal peace associated with the Messianic kingdom will come one day, but not until the kingdom comes in its fullness. So the Jews largely had this monolithic view of the kingdom, They believed when the kingdom comes, it's all going to happen at once. But Jesus constantly has to correct them and say, no, it's going to happen in stages. And the first few stages are going to involve considerable struggle. So Jesus says, do not suppose that I am here to bring peace on the earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. Matthew's version intensifies this. It actually says, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And most scholars here think that Luke Uh, The original here is a sword, but Luke has softened it for his audience to say, rather, division. This idea that Jesus came to bring division, not peace, it's not very popular today, is it? It's probably different from the message you were taught at primary school and secondary school, which is that Jesus has come to bring only peace. That's sort of true in a sense, but we need to take stock of his words here. He says that certainly as the kingdom is not yet here in its fullness, his coming necessarily involves division. What he's saying is that I will bring the opposite of peace. I'm going to bring division. That would have been shocking for the apostles and the disciples to hear. Jesus is now going to explain this a bit more, which is good because otherwise we might misinterpret him to mean that he's come to bring war. But he doesn't say he's come to bring war. He's going to explain what he means by division. Verse 52, For from now on a household of five will be divided. Now in that culture, family bonds were really strong. Jesus here knows what is coming for his followers. He knows that for many of them, their own family members are going to reject them because they're Christian. And that did indeed happen in the early years. It was basically a crime to be a Christian. The Jews did not like Christians in the early years. So Jesus says, from now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three. 
So the idea here is that in the coming years, some in the house will be Christians, others will not be. And then Jesus gives this long list of what relationships that will include. So verse 53, the father divide against the son, the son against the father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now that seems like a very specific list of relationships. Uh, there's, you know, there's some that he hasn't mentioned here. For example, he hasn't said son against mother, but he did say son against father. Why has he used this formulation? It appears that Jesus here is quoting from Micah 7, 6, which says, The son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the enemies of his own house. Interesting, isn't it? So Jesus seems to be quoting from that. In context there of Micah, Micah is mourning that many of God's people have turned from him and there are few left to follow him. That's the original context. So it's kind of like there aren't many good followers of God left. Everyone is turning against them. So it's an appropriate metaphor for Jesus to use in this context too. Now in Micah, the prophet then goes on to describe Israel's regathering and restoration. If you continue in Micah chapter 12, uh, Micah chapter 7, sorry, it goes on to talk about how Israel will be regathered. So maybe there, there's an allusion here to Israel's ultimate regathering at his second coming. And that's described a bit later in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 11, it talks about how one day Israel will come back to God through the Messiah. But that hasn't happened yet. Certainly that would fit with Luke's theme. Luke is always on about how Jesus has come to regather Israel into its true form. So maybe there's a reference there to that. What Jesus has just said here about houses being divided against themselves, family members, that's huge. Family members in that culture are supposed to be a person's closest and most trustworthy ally. So Jesus is telling his disciples what's to come. He wants them to be prepared. It's not going to be easy. Does this apply today? Well, the circumstances today are somewhat different. It's a little easier to be a Christian, at least in the 21st century, but in a Western society... The principle is probably still enduring in a way, though. Jesus' teaching here is that being a Christian will bring division in the family. It's a necessary part of the kingdom coming into conflict with the world. It's a logical effect of the message of the kingdom. And obviously that plays out more strongly in some countries rather than others today. Jesus has more to say here. There's more in this speech, and we'll look at that in the coming days. Let's now turn to the Catechism, and this text, although it's not particularly well known, it is does get a lot of airtime in the Catechism. The Catechism uh, uses this text to inform a lot of our Catholic teachings. So let's start with paragraph 696. This is in the section about the Holy Spirit, and it says the fire is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So I'll read out this entire paragraph, because it covers lots of different meanings of fire, Um, And Jesus might have some or all of these in mind here when he talks about fire in Luke chapter 12. While water signifies birth and the fruitfulness of life given in the Holy Spirit, fire symbolizes the transforming energy of the Holy Spirit's actions. The prayer of the prophet Elijah, who arose like fire and whose word burned like a torch, brought down fire from heaven on the sacrifice on Mount Carmel. This event was a figure of the fire of the Holy Spirit who transforms what he touches. John the Baptist, who goes before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, proclaims Christ as the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus will say of the Spirit, I came to cast fire upon the earth, 
and would that it were already kindled. In the form of tongues as of fire, the Holy Spirit rests on the disciples on the morning of Pentecost and fills them with himself. The spiritual tradition has retained this symbolism of fire as one of the most expressive images of the Holy Spirit's actions. Do not quench the Spirit. So you probably heard right in the middle of that paragraph, uh, it quotes from Luke chapter 12 here. And then the reference to Jesus desiring a baptism actually gets referenced a few times in the Catechism. So paragraph 536, this is about Jesus' literal baptism in the Jordan. The baptism of Jesus is on his part the acceptance and inauguration of his mission as God's suffering servant. He allows himself to be numbered among sinners. He is already the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Already he is anticipating the baptism of his bloody death. So here the Catechism explicitly references, in that last line, Jesus is anticipating the baptism of his bloody death. So the the Catechism here understands Luke chapter 12, when Jesus says, I desire a baptism, it is a reference to his death. That is the Catechism's understanding. Paragraph 607, this is in the section about Christ's life as an offering to the Father. The desire to embrace his Father's plan of salvation and redeeming love inspired Jesus' whole life. For his redemptive passion was the very reason for his incarnation. And so he asked, And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. And there it references Luke chapter 12 and Jesus' necessity of suffering, which is mentioned here in Luke 12. Paragraph 1225, again this is about Christ's baptism. In his Passover, Christ opened to all men the fountain of baptism. He had already spoken of his passion, which he was about to suffer in Jerusalem, as a baptism with which he had to be baptized. The blood and water that flowed from the pierced side of the crucified Jesus are types of baptism and the Eucharist, the sacraments of new life. From then on, it is possible to be born of water and the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. So just as Jesus' uh, baptism in his death is an immersion into death, As Christians get baptized by water and the Spirit, the sacrament of baptism, we get baptized into Christ's death as well. So there really is a link here between Christian baptism and Jesus' own death. The theme of immersion is common to both. Lastly, paragraph 2804, and this is a commentary on the Our Father. It says, The first series of petitions carries us towards him for his own sake. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. It is characteristic of love to think of the one whom we love. In none of the three petitions do we mention ourselves. The burning desire, even anguish, of the beloved son for his father's glory seizes us. So that's an interesting link. So here is Luke, in Luke chapter 12, as Jesus says, he desires the father's glory. He's in anguish uh, until that happens. That's what it says here in Luke. The Catholic Church understands that when we pray the Our Father and we say, Thy kingdom come, we desire God's will with that same kind of anguish. So that's a really interesting link, isn't it? We'll leave it there for today. I hope you can see it's actually quite a rich text and there's a lot more that could be said about it. And we'll continue to move through Luke in the coming days. If you're enjoying this series, if you think there's others who would enjoy it too, please share it with them.